Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Thursday, November 9th. I'm Hannah Floor. Petersburg's community theater troupe will be looking to entertain people of all ages this weekend. KFSK has the story. McQuaddle is a young dragon with floppy gold horns and underdeveloped wings. I mean, all I can do is spit fire. Mom, what's my purpose? Oh, you're too young to be worried about such grown-up things. Now, how many pancakes do you want? That was the Mikoff Mummers rehearsing the play Tuesday night at the Wright Auditorium. The main character, McQuaddle, is played by Rowan Olson. His dragon mom is played by Jessica Franklin. McQuaddle is sure that there is more to life than eating pancakes and playing with his friends. Hey, McQuaddle, hey, McQuaddle, look what I found. What is it? See for yourself. Looking for meaning in your life? Don't know your purpose? Find the answer to all your questions by visiting the wise evil queen in the castle on the hill. Call her now. McQuaddle ignores the warnings of his friends who suspect that a wise evil queen might not have the best intentions, and he heads off to find her. During rehearsal, I sat down with director Tiffany Glass. She says the show is family-friendly and geared towards kids, but there's a lot of fun for adults as well. It's kind of fairy tale-esque. There's um, a castle, there's a queen, and there's jesters. And and this is a, a play that's really appropriate for kids, right? Yes, it is absolutely appropriate for kids. It's actually written for kids. Um, but just like other Disney movies that we might like to watch with our children, there is some... There, there's humor that the adults will find funny also. I keep describing it as, you know, having some moments of like Monty Python-esque um, things happening. And speaking of age, you mentioned to me that uh, there is a really, really wide range of ages in the cast. Yes, our ages range from 18 years old to 80 years old. What is it about the mummers that makes it appealing to such a wide range of, of people? I think any community theater event brings out not only all ages, but people from all walks of life coming together and putting together a play for the community. It brings so much joy. It, we all feel, even though we all are very different and we might not hang out in other aspects of life, we are there for the common good, and that is to bring joy to the community and laugh and just kind of forget about life for an hour and have a good time. That was director Tiffany Glass. It will come as no surprise that McQuaddle eventually does find his purpose. The surprises come in the way that the play really breaks the fairy tale mold. No spoilers. Let's just say there are moments of absurdity peppered throughout the production. Queen's Castle on the Hill. How may I help you? In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. The community can see McQuaddle at Dragon's Tale tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday at the Wright Auditorium. Doors open at 6.30 and the show starts at 7. Tickets are $10. The fact that Alaska's fiscal system is broken is probably most obvious to the people who helped create it. Two civic organizations in Sitka recently heard from a co-author of the Alaska Permanent Fund, who's on a mission to set the state's finances right. Robert Woolsey reports from Sitka. Cliff Groh was a 28-year-old legislative aide in 1982 when he helped draft the law establishing the Alaska Permanent Fund. Having worked in and out of government since then, including as special assistant to the state commissioner of revenue and as municipal attorney for the city of Sitka, 
Escrow is now back in government as an elected representative serving House District 18 in North Anchorage as a Democrat. Escrow recently returned to Sitka at his own expense to visit with old friends and to share his ideas about Alaska's physical problems with the local Rotary and Chamber of Commerce. Fellow House member Rebecca Hemshute is an independent representing Sitka, Petersburg, and many surrounding communities, but she participates in the minority caucus with Grow. She said that among their very diverse caucus, Grow has earned a nickname. The expertise that Cliff brings to the table, well, he's actually earned a nickname. Um, he's the fiscal Cliff. And so we, we talk a lot about our fiscal Cliff here in Alaska, and he really truly is literally our fiscal Cliff. So he's going to help share some of those ideas that he has with us today about um, not even just ideas but facts and figures about where we are and how we got there and some ideas for how things might be different in the future. Crow's vision for the future is basically a return to the past and to the strategies that a bankrupt territory of Alaska used to shore up its finances and win statehood. The territory relied on revenues from fishing and mining in those days and was crippled by deficits. In 1948, territorial voters threw out almost the entire legislature and brought in new people with a purpose. And the new legislature came in, and in the 11-day period, they passed five taxes. In a special session before the regular session started in January of 1949, and the biggest one by far, and the one that's had the most consequence in terms of revenues, was the first personal income tax in Alaska. That income tax was repealed in 1980, shortly after the completion of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline. And Gross says that was the beginning of the Alaska disconnect, when Alaskans began to expect not just an annual dividend check, but also free government in perpetuity. Gross says that strategy worked pretty well for about 35 years, but now that oil revenues have peaked and are on a steady decline... Without an income tax, there's no way to scale Alaska's revenues to the population. He asked the Sitka Chamber of Commerce to conduct a thought experiment and to imagine Alaska's population doubling. What would happen to government services? Well, the roads would go south. And like I said, they're already terrible in my district. I have to say, drive around Sitka right now, not exactly perfect here either. And obviously, the state ferries, which used to run a lot more when I lived here more than 15 years ago, that would decline. We would need more school facilities and teachers or face worse outcomes. Our dividends get smaller. And public health and safety resources like troopers, firefighters, public health nurses would be stretched thin. And actually all the state services would either require more investment or the quality would suffer. So let's talk about what happened to state revenue if the population doubled. It's about the same it is now. So we need to understand that. Just 10 years ago, Groves might have been a lone voice in the wilderness, but Alaska has since burned through billions in savings. And while the principle of the permanent fund itself can't be touched, another account called the earnings reserve can be spent with just a majority vote of the legislature, and then Alaska would have no operating cash at all. So now many of Groves' colleagues are also talking about taxes, either a state sales tax, an income tax, or both. Grow has introduced HB 156, which would impose a 2% income tax, but only on earnings above $200,000. Anyone earning less than $200,000 would just chip in $20. He's not keen on a sales tax. Some other legislators favor a sales tax. One was introduced this year. It was a very broad sales tax. And then I said, folks, before we start taxing groceries and feminine products, 
Um, I'd rather tax millionaires first. Asked by a chamber member whether permanent fund dividends should be discontinued, Gross said he didn't think that would solve the Alaska disconnect, although he did support restructuring the dividend and protecting the fund itself with a constitutional amendment. And he also did not support a strategy used by many governments, including the federal government, deficit spending. We can't borrow our way out of this problem, Gross said. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. The city of Sitka is purchasing back a property it sold to a seafood processing company last year for more than double its original sale price. While some balked at the buyback plan, assembly members say repurchasing the property is the right decision and a necessary investment for the city's future marine haulout. Catherine Rose reports from Sitka. In 2022, the city sold the lot and building at the Gary Paxton Industrial Park to a local seafood processing barge company for just over $550,000. Northline Seafoods had been leasing the land from the city, and the option to purchase it for the 2014 appraised value was in the terms of its 2017 lease agreement, provided the processor met a few requirements, like employing at least four people at the park. The lease was transferred when Northline dissolved and became SIAC Logistics in 2021, with all the same terms and rights. When the city sold the land, it retained first right of refusal on the property should SIAC Logistics decide to sell. Owner Ben Blakey notified the city of his intent to sell the property in August. The building was appraised at $1.3 million in September. So now the question was whether to repurchase the building for more than double what the city sold it for last year. Kent Barkow said the way the lease was handled in 2021 raised concerns. I do have to question the history of that decision to maintain that uh, right to purchase in the reassignment of that lease and particularly understanding that there was no assembly debate at the time. Wonder you know, what kind of lessons we we can take home. Anyway, it's very disappointing to, to have something like this happen. But most assembly members didn't agree. Tor Christensen said that the company had the right to transfer their lease and exercise its terms, and there wasn't much the city could do about that. And over time, the city had benefited financially from the lease. You know, in a, in a perfect world, it'd be nice to have that land still in our back pocket. But on the other hand, we received approximately $900,000 in revenue from that uh, between leases and sales. At the same time, there's been, like I say, a number of improvements to that land. And of course, land is worth more now. And Assemblymember Chris Yested said it was important to remember that the city was given the building originally when the pulp mill dissolved in the 90s. And it was a bit of a shell at the time. Uh, the city put in some money to finish out the project. And like Tor was mentioning, um, lots of improvements were thrown at this building to increase its value um, from that 2014 or 2017 valuation. Um, offices, bathrooms, a big boiler that just so happens to be able to work with this washdown pad. Plans for the upcoming marine haul-out at the Gary Paxton Industrial Park include constructing a nearby building with a boiler, bathrooms, and office spaces. Now that this building was available again, it would save them time to buy it back rather than construct a new one. And Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis said the Assembly should consider they may not be the only interested party. 
we don't buy this building, someone else will. I don't know if there's a line, but I'm sure that there's a line of people behind us ready to buy this building. And then we lose control over a, a key um, entity within our haul out. Ultimately, the assembly unanimously decided to direct the city administrator to move forward with repurchasing the building for $1.3 million. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Hundreds of students in the Matanuska Susitna Borough School District walked out of class last Tuesday morning to protest recent actions by the local school board, including the removal of the student representative from the board and the removal of books from libraries for review. Organizers say students at seven Matsu high schools walked out. At Career Tech High School in Wasilla, about 150 students joined. They gathered outside of the school, holding signs demanding the school board listen and chanting. One of the organizers, Junior Lily Shea, says students' voices must be heard. I'm proud of every student who showed up today and feels that this is important enough to skip a class. Skipping a class is a big deal. Um, I don't ever do it because I, I'm scared of what I might miss. But it's, I'm proud that um, so many kids are so invested in what's happening and they understand that this is a big deal. The specific school board decisions that students protested include the removal of the student representative from the board, despite public opposition, and the investigations directed by the board into students and staff who objected to the measure. The board is also requiring additional credits to graduate beyond the state standard, and it has handpicked an advisory committee to review 56 books, some that are used in curriculum across the district. Students gathered around the flagpole at each school for 56 minutes as a nod to the number of books that are under review. Shea says it's important for voters and the school board to know how students feel. Two Matsu school board seats were up for election this week. We're not backing down even after this election happens. Ben Colendo is the student advisory board representative whose role on the board was diminished in September. Colendo is 18 and is able to vote unlike many of the students who protested with him. Local elections are the most important ones, and right now this is students saying that we think this election is more important than usual. It's affecting us hugely, and we care about kids. Just be educated, stay, take a stand. Right now is the time for change. The principal at Career Tech declined to comment on the walkout. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.